Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast, the podcast that explores the intersection of faith and mental health. On this episode of Becoming Well, we're going to talk about the controversy of diagnosis in the mental health field. Mm. And uh, I think this is a really important topic because we can come at it from a lot of different ways, but the reality is diagnosis has kind of perpetuated the mental health stigma. So let's just dive into it. Yes. I yeah, I read this article and I and I skimmed it. I didn't read all the details of it, but there's a new diagnosis being added to the DSM. It's prolonged grief disorder. Mm-hmm. And initially I was like, oh, cool. Like we we really need to acknowledge the impact that grief has on our mental health and well-being. But then I started diving into this article and it was talking about somewhat of the controversies around the way we diagnose and how we use diagnosis. And for those of you that don't know, the DSM is sort of jokingly referred to as like the mental health Bible. It's all the different diagnoses in mental health from depression and anxiety to schizophrenia and everything in between that helps. It was designed at least to help clinicians like Dr. Hendrickson and I look at a particular disorder and recognize, a, you know, a similar set of symptoms, kind of like if you go to the doctor and you've got, you know, um, a sore throat and you've got a fever and you've got the aches and the chills, they know, oh, these symptoms are consistent with potentially a diagnosis of strep throat. And so they're going to run some tests and they're going to, you know, see if you actually have this and then they know how to treat you. But in the mental health world, you know, because mental health has been used as a stigma for so long and has been used to harm people, oftentimes diagnosis is seen as either, you know, putting people in a box or, you know, being used to harm people um, or, you know, even taking things way out of context culturally, Mm. um, you know, personally, whatever, uh, to make something a disorder that's really not. And so there's this question around like, do we need to diagnose grief? Mm. If we're diagnosing grief, are we treating it you know, in a way that we treat like depression and anxiety and actually causing us to say there's something wrong with people just brought up like a whole different can of worms. And so I don't know. I'm curious what your thoughts are. You know what? So on the one hand, we need something like the DSM-5. Yeah. And I'm going to say from a, uh, a cognitive part of our being as humans, there's no way that we can take in so much information without some level of categorizing things. Yeah. Right? So it's very helpful. We have to categorize if we learn how to do the laundry, right? We categorize it whites versus darks or shirts versus towels. That just helps our brain. Our brain wants to take all the shortcuts as much as possible so that we can make decisions. Yeah. So the DSM-5 is no different than any other manual or resource that will help us at least start off with an understanding of what might be going on with a person. Yeah. So the reason why I kind of emphasize, you know, might is because oftentimes we will use it as an ironclad promise. And that's when I think we get into trouble. Totally. That makes so much sense. Like we've just, you have depression, Mm -hmm. therefore this, that I need to do X, Y, and Z in order to treat that. But also even just the starting place of, and I'm going to use this word purposefully, just like you yours might, Mm -hmm. labeling Mm -hmm. somebody with a diagnosis of depression. There's a whole lot behind that. Right. And... When we talk about labeling or when we talk about, you know, I have this, again, if we look at both 
sides of that, sometimes it could be helpful because you're thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe I'm not quote unquote, you know, and I hear this often. So this is definitely, um, you know, something that I don't believe, but people will say, oh, I'm not crazy. So it can be where it's helpful, where you're now understanding that it could be something and that can alleviate a lot of anxiety on one sense. But on the other hand, it can actually then cause more anxiety because you are thinking, what does that mean? Is this part of my identity? Am, am I crazy? Am I this? Right. And what does that mean in comparison to the rest of the culture? Does that mean something that is wrong with me and it's going to be debilitating? Right. So, again, labeling in itself, I don't know if it's necessarily bad in itself, but it's what's attached to that meaning. The meaning. Yes, that's so true. OK, so here's what came to mind. Do you are you on TikTok? talk not no i'm trying as long as possible not to get <laughs> okay good i also am not on tiktok but you know we we work with students yes students who are much younger than us in mm-hmm. many ways and so uh we hear things yes and i don't know if you're aware of this but there's this trend on tiktok to talk about various mental health diagnoses and to describe the symptoms and even the treatments And it's resulted in this massive increase in, especially I think teenagers, self-diagnosing. Oh, yes. In specific categories, like categories that we don't always see, uh, you know, a a plethora or a lot of people diagnosed with this disorder. So like OCD is one. Like all of a sudden now there's this like massive increase in people thinking they have OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Right. Or another one was um, um, autism. So more and more people thinking that, oh, I meet the criteria for this disorder. And, you know, it's it's like there's two sides to every coin. Mm -hmm. I think the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it. And so those people that maybe didn't Mm -hmm. want to acknowledge that they had certain symptoms of a disorder because of fear of the stigma are now saying, actually, that's me. Mm-hmm. And feeling brave enough and confident enough to step forward and to seek support and and care and services in those ways, but then I think other people are also like there's this tendency in the world and maybe among certain populations I don't know to feel like having a diagnosis gives me like significance, mm. and so they're you know kind of you know glamping onto this diagnosis as a way of saying like oh look at me i've gone through difficult things or i've overcome challenges and that gives me worth and significance wow see this is so this is this is this is so important one thing that comes to mind you remember when you were in grad school and it's the first time you blocked it out i know we were like (laughs) we might have ptsd i don't know if i'm over diagnosing but But do you remember the first time you were introduced to the DS at the time? It might have been DSM four or whatever the previous publications and you open it up for the first time. What happened after you were finished flipping through all of those pages? I had generalized anxiety disorder. Like I for sure I read all the symptoms and I was like, that's me. Right. And (laughs) and I thought I had general general GAD, general anxiety disorder. I thought I had depression. I thought I had OCD. I thought (laughs) 
I diagnosed about bug, seven different diagnoses, yeah. right? <laughs> it's kind of like on the commercials when, you know, you see like a medication or something yes. and then they're running these long things and you're like, oh my gosh, like do, you know, do I have, do I have that? that? Okay, wait, I have to tell you a tangent, really funny story. When mm-hmm. I was in grad school, I lived in this apartment and I had a neighbor who was going to med school mm-hmm. and she was so sweet, loved her to death. And I had a dog and she loved my dog. And so whenever she was off school or came home and I wasn't there, I'd given her a key. She would take my dog out and I would come home. My dog would be at her. That woman was going to medical school for humans. But every time she came back from school or from class, she was diagnosing my dog <laughs> with a medical condition. <laughs> she, she by the like, way, I think your dog, your dog has is a hypochondriac. <laughs> <laughs> like uh no <laughs> but that, yeah. and but that's the thing yeah. right where it's i do believe there is um something that people i, I think there's a humanist that people want to hold on to something yeah and, and so so that we can understand something right we are always looking to understand something whether it's about ourselves, whether it's about the world, whether it's about others. So so saying, OK, I have all of these symptoms or I think I have these symptoms. It means this. There is some security in that. Yeah. But there's one thing that I want to be be very clear on, especially with the TikTok trend, is people don't understand that we were also trained in how to read the DSM-5. Yes. So it's not this thing where it's just like, oh, okay, I have these five symptoms. That means I have this. There are so many different nuances and caveats that go with diagnosing someone. So even in the medical field, we are very careful about doing that. Yeah. We take classes upon classes of assessment and diagnostics because it is really important to get to know the person and all of their unique presenting symptoms. And yet I think what you're talking about is actually speaking back into both the benefits and the challenges of diagnoses. Like I think we look at diagnosis and we and and we we assign meaning to it as you said and we allow ourselves to fall into a trap of using diagnosis as a way of evaluation and judgment. Mm-hmm. And so those that are struggling with a mental health diagnosis feel or perceive themselves or they're told by the world around them that you are different and there's something wrong with you. Mm. And that's the negative side of diagnosis, right? right? And so I think what we're seeing on TikTok and as more and more people are being comfortable or feeling comfortable with mental health and wellness is we're recognizing that we all have a spectrum of mental health and wellness and that we all can go through bouts of depression and we can all go through bouts of anxiety and maybe we all have some type of OCD tendencies or, you know, um, uh, whatever it is, intermittent explosive disorder. I've gotten pretty mad before and yelled at people. Let's just (laughs) be honest. I mean, maybe somebody would argue that when Jesus got really angry and turned all over those tables in the marketplace over (laughs) That was an intermittent explosive <laughs> disorder right. that was justified, right? Just anger, right? <laughs> right? So on the one hand, that's kind of like against diagnosis. Like let's not stigmatize and label people mm. because then they feel categorized and they feel separated. And we mm. have this, you know, common shared experience as human beings. But then on the flip side, I'm going to try this analogy. It may fall so flat. Okay, let's try it. But here's where I think diagnosis can be helpful. And this is my parallel comparison. Okay, so there is something distinctly different about you and I. Mm-hmm. You are melanin blessed, and I am melanin challenged. <laughs> <laughs> right? This is, is going to be good. Right? Okay. right, right. 
So if we didn't have like a knowledge of how melanin and the sun interacted, and not to say that it's a diagnosis <laughs> to have a blessing of melanin or a challenge of melanin, but I will tell you, it is, you know, as soon as we get into the summer months, I am very blessed by something called sunscreen. <laughs> that knowledge of how melanin works or lack thereof is, yes, it gives me a prescription to make sure I don't turn into a bright red lobster or end up having portions of my skin excised because of skin cancer. And I don't make light of skin cancer, but I need that. I need that. Sure. And I love that. Did that land anywhere? It did. I don't know. It did because then you have the resources and you have the understanding and then you know what to do. Right. So that's what the DSM-5 is for, right? Yes. In, but we have to we have to look at it loosely. But it is the same thing. <laughs> but I could take that real serious mm-hmm. and we could look at how melanin blessing and melanin challenging has been judged and labeled. Mm. Absolutely. Here and okay, so we're okay, we're gonna now I'm going to say something and tell me if you need to if you need to direct me back to the conversation that you know I digress too much. (laughs) But when we look at that, so if we go back to maybe whether it's TikTok or people, it's not just TikTok, people have been claiming diagnoses for years, years, right? There wasn't Um, even social media when I went to grad school. So clearly people were right. We were doing it, you know. Like I said, we were in college doing it. But but what so the problem with labeling going back to the problem again so stemming from if you you know use the melanated or not melanated (laughs) is that we do not look at the errors that oftentimes we will look at labels or diagnoses and label them based on such a small myopic view yes and when we're looking at labels and we're looking at diagnoses, there are two things that we need to remember. One, it's a westernized way of thinking. Yep. Therefore, that's going to that needs to be considered when we're talking about culture and race. Yes. Right. So if we say anxiety, for example, yes, we can look at the DSM five. And I absolutely uh, I believe in the DSM five mm-hmm. or, you know, but we cannot look at it straight away without looking at the other factors that might contribute to that. Or you might be mislabeled because it might be something else that has to do with maybe a cultural impact or a racial impact. Right. So, for example, if I say that I have anxiety and in the DSM five, it might say um, feelings of hopelessness for a certain amount of time and sleeplessness, changing appetite, intrusive thoughts. Right. Or any of these symptoms that might look nice and tidy from the onset. Right. Just from a, a myopic view. But if you broaden it, it might be where. It is from anxiety from being in certain contexts, yeah. you know, because I have extreme anxiety when I have to. And I'm going to be very honest, speak. I have speaking engagements. Right. And if I was just telling um, Deb that when I speak to African-American women, I abs- I, I really don't have much anxiety. Yeah, very very comfortable, but I almost feel like I have an anxiety attack when I, attack when I am actually speaking to people outside of my culture, mm. right? And so I might look at that and say, "Oh my gosh, I have this, this, and this." That means I have generalized anxiety disorder. When in fact, it might be culturally 
attribute it. And it's not necessarily where I have to diagnose diagnose myself as such, but it's contextual. Yeah. Right. And so we have to be very careful when we're looking at diagnosis and understand that it is a Western thought. And so not a Western thought, but it's diagnosed from a Western point of view. Yep. Yep. Um, but but so to balance that, we have to look at that contextually. Yeah. Right. So we don't we cannot fall into the 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 labels so easily because those labels are so nuanced or those diagnoses are so nuanced. Yes. They take away the experiential element of someone's life story. Yes. Absolutely. I think that's so important. So even though you may feel anxious speaking to a group outside of your ethnicity and your race mm-hmm. and then that some traditional ways of treating anxiety could still help Absolutely. alleviate some of your symptoms to just simply label you with a diagnosis without looking at other factors, it goes deeper. So when I think Western, I think individualistic. Mm-hmm. When I think other cultures, I think collectivistic. Mm-hmm. And so what does it look like? Let's just say hypothetically that I'm your treatment provider, I'm your counselor, and we're talking this through. I think there's two very different approaches, one that maybe mildly addresses what's really going on and one that has a transformative impact. Okay, so I could say, yeah, it makes sense as you're sharing with me part of your story um, and your experiences and speaking in different contexts and your experience with people outside your culture and how you've been treated. I can see from what you're sharing that speaking to people within the black community and in particular black women feels a lot more comfortable and safe than speaking to women outside of that that context. So let's talk about some ways in which we can treat your anxiety. That's one way yes. to address it, right? Yes. But here's another way to address it, and that's from a collectivistic standpoint. So I can still say all of those things, but I can start thinking about, especially as a white woman, can start thinking about what are some of the ways in which we change the system? Mm as well. So that not only does your experience hopefully change down the road in terms of being embraced, um, not accepted, that's not the word I want to use, but embraced and valued for your uniqueness that you bring to the table um, instead of probably what you have experienced, maybe being rejection or Mm -hmm. humiliation or dismissiveness. Yep. Really quick. And that's what actually causes the anxiety, right? Because I'm like, oh, it's a me thing. Yeah. So I have to make sure that I'm a certain type of way so I don't experience these uh, repercussions of just walking in being me. Yes, absolutely. And so it's kind of a both and, right? It's understanding the presentation of your anxiety now, but going to the root cause and working to change the system and the structures and so that you and even more so people that come behind you don't experience the same thing. We're wow. changing the system, which, you know, going back to grief, it's interesting to me that prolonged grief disorder is being included in the DSM uh, because I think it's a very real thing, but is it a diagnosis? I don't know. I haven't really wrestled with this enough, but but when I heard it, it absolutely brought me back to the book of Lamentations. Mm. And, you know, I think the prophets spoke specifically to the experience of the Israelites who had gone through all kinds of things. I mean, they'd experienced systemic racism. They'd experienced exploitation. They'd experienced being refugees. They'd experienced being disobedient to God and cast out of, um, you know, the safe spaces in their lives. They'd experienced persecution, rejection, abuse, all of these things. And, you know, I think God through the prophets was trying to say, we can't just go blink, everything's better now. Right. 
you need to actually have a period in a season of Of lamenting, lamenting, lamentations, right? Which is another word for grief. Yes. Deeper, maybe more like impactful, sorrowful grief, but... That was a part of their healing process. Mm. And, but then that, that begs to, to ask the question, um, and this might go back to, you know, something that's a lot deeper or not relevant. That's what the, we're here for. Right. That's what we're here for. We just, we just we'll talk. We'll connect it somehow. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll sew it up. Um, grief and how one is allowed to grief based on their culture based on maybe their gender based on uh what what is prolonged grief and how long is long mm. and how much is it you know how important is it for us to look at grief looking different for other people you know based yeah. on our culture based on our gender based on our race based on yeah, all based of on all of the factors. factors that need to come into play when we're labeling and when we're diagnosing individuals yeah. right and so like you said i haven't gotten uh admittedly deep into the the added uh diagnosis but i'm wondering when we look at these different diagnoses or diagnoses are we going to continuously and consistently look at the whole uh, context. Right, right. Of, of, of these, these, these labels. Well, and that I think is the question we're wrestling with around diagnosis. It's not so much that diagnosis is bad. It's A, how we come to the conclusion of what a diagnosis is, but then also how we quote unquote treat it, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an element of, Maybe including prolonged grief in a diagnostic manual like the DSM will actually empower people to see grief as something that is impactful on a person's life, that grief can cause symptoms that mirror depression or grief can cause um, isolation or uh, low productivity or uh, let me take away low productivity, lack of motivation. Um, And those things are natural to the grieving process. And and maybe it helps us see that, oh, that person might be going through a, a longer period of grief. Right. But we're not judging it. We're not categorizing it. We're not minimizing it to just that experience. We're saying, let's take all these unique elements of the person into consideration as to why they're grieving and how they're grieving and just giving them permission to grieve. Right. Without a time limit. Or an expectation of what it looks like. What it it, absolutely, and that it's 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 when you talk about grieving. So if we use keep using the example of grieving when we're talking about labeling, labeling and diagnoses, it is not just a word with one meaning, definition, or connotation, Mm -hmm. right? So I'll use this example. So hopefully this lands. This works as well. So one of my shows that I absolutely love, 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 it's just a touching show. It it could be heartbreaking to watch sometimes, but I don't know if you've ever watched my 600-pound life. I've seen a few episodes, yeah. Okay, and so what I like about it is that um, there is a psychologist that you oftentimes are referred to, nine times out of ten, right? And that part I love because there's this understanding that that there is something deeper that might be happening and they may be using food to cope, right? Just as well, just as much as someone would use gambling or 
alcohol or substance abuse. They use food codependency, to codependency. Yeah. And um, on one of the episodes I just watched, it was just the sweetest man. He was actually going to school to be a minister, and he weighed 700 pounds. And something that the psychiatrist said that was so profound, he said, what I want you to look at is that it's not just that you weigh 700 pounds physically, but you are being weighed down by 700 pounds of emotional suppression, like mm. 700 pounds of emotional baggage that I don't know if you've ever mourned what happened to you and grieved what happened to you because it's justified that you are using this to cope. So it was this thing of you, your whole life, you had this, these tragic events happen your whole life. You've, just um, suppressed all of these emotions without even grieving that it happened, without grieving that you've lost people in your life. And how do you put a time frame on that? Right. Do you know what I mean? How yeah. do you put what that's going to look like? Yeah. Uh, you know, and how do you put, you know, how to even navigate that without, and it, it just goes back to your point of allowing that grief to happen, but I don't know if it needs to have a label with it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe use diagnoses as a starting point. And this is how I kind of teach my students. It's not this ironclad promise. It's a starting point that, that may give us understanding. Mm-hmm. That may give us understanding. But make sure that we look at that in a way bigger context. Yeah. So to me, mm-hmm. one of the applications, if you know one of our listeners is either navigating a new diagnosis or or a, a lifelong diagnosis or they have a family member or friend is to come at it um i had a student i'm going to steal this and and uh i want to give them credit but i can't remember who it was so if my students listening i'm going to give them credit on another podcast but they said um because I'm also teaching a counseling techniques class like mm-hmm, you are. Mm-hmm. And the student said, I'm going to look at therapy. I think it was Nikki. <gasps> Paleontology. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, Nikki, if you're listening, because I know you listen to this podcast, Nikki gets all the credit for this. Yes. He was Mary's student and now he's my student in the grad school. And we are like big Nikki fans. Yes. <laughs> and it's paleontology. And I thought that is genius. <laughs> yes. So, you know, he's starting off his session. And he said, you know, I'm excited to get to know you and da, 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 da. And then he goes, I look at therapy like I'm a paleontologist. And I won't lie. I was like, oh, gosh, where is this going? <laughs> but then he talked about how paleontologists excavate bones. Mm-hmm. And when they unearth them, they have to treat them with care. With and find brush. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Did you teach him that? No, he <laughs> just actually just told me <laughs> literally two days so ago. Good. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So I'm thinking that's how we treat diagnosis. You know, if you have received a diagnosis, if you know somebody that has been diagnosed with a mental health disorder or mental illness, um, how can you treat it with care Mm. and with a fine tooth comb and say, okay, what is this helping me understand more about the way in which I navigate the world? It's Mm -hmm. not your identity. You're not lumped into one particular category and everyone is the same, but it can inform and provide insight into some of what you might be experiencing, how you might process information or emotions or relationships, and then how you relate that back out to the world, but still within the context of you being uniquely you. Mm. I want to end there. Let's do it. That was beautiful. Mike dropped. All right. I think this was a great conversation, you know, because diagnosis is controversial in Mm -hmm. our communities, but there's a way that we can both use it and, um, and abuse it. 
And I think if we take the perspective of being paleontologists with our diagnoses or with diagnoses in general, it has the power to really transform understanding human behavior better. Absolutely. And it allows us to be able to explain things to other people as well that may have a stigma against, you know, what we might be going through. Yeah, that's good. Well, we'd love to hear your feedback. As always, find us on all major platforms for podcasts. Leave us a review. Five stars is always appreciated. We'd love your comments and questions. And you can find us on Instagram, Becoming Well Podcast, on our website, becomingwellpodcast.org. Thanks for listening today. Thanks for listening. And shout out to Nikki. Yay, Nikki. We love you. (laughs) Be well.